0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron. The Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, September 6th, we are studying Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 1 to 21. Moses gives Israel instructions concerning cities of refuge in the promised land. He speaks about why you shouldn't move your neighbor's boundary marker, and he also tells the people of the necessity of having at least two witnesses to establish criminal wrongdoing. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's good to be back. Let's talk a little context to get started. What should we know leading up to Deuteronomy 19
1: today? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is that the Lord in Deuteronomy 18 through Moses has kind of wrapped up the discussion of uh, essentially the first table of the law. I mean, there, there's been some other stuff that, that will repeat a little bit, but uh, up to this point it has been primarily stuff dealing with first table of the law, uh, the proper worship of God, keeping his word, this, this sort of stuff. And now 19 has kind of this distinct shift into second table sort of stuff and how we're going to deal in love with our neighbor. And and that's really what's, what's pushing here.
0: All right. So dealing in love with the neighbor. We've got a text that maybe seems anticlimactic after the previous one. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22 is the most important text in deuteronomy martin luther tells us because it speaks of christ and yet what is given in chapter 19 is not unimportant but it is important how do we how do we tie these subjects together they seem a little i mean is it just love for the neighbor or is there anything more connecting cities of refuge and property boundaries
1: and and witnesses and trials well i mean all of this is ultimately going to be connected um, with the the person and work of God, right? So I, th- I think maybe one of the clearest examples of how this works out is in Psalm 51, where David is uh, reflecting on his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, and, you know, he's, he sinned not only against Bathsheba, but against Uriah, against the nation of Israel, all these things. And he makes this comment in there against you, you only have I sinned and done what is wicked in your sight. And so we we understand that any sin against the neighbor is fundamentally a sin against God who has given the neighbor to us for our good and for our service. So uh, so th- we want to make sure that the two tables are connected. And, and Jesus does this as well. When he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second is like it. Um, that is the second is of the same substance as it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The, these aren't distinct things. And I think one of our issues when we engage the commandments is that we tend to treat them as either individual on their own, like each commandment's own self-contained little thing, or even if we understand the two tables, that those are completely distinct, that we should love God and that's over here and we should love God, our neighbor and that's over there and never the two shall meet. And and that's simply not the way the Lord lays this all out for us. And 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 that's part of what we're going to see in here. There, there is this overlap, especially in the end of Deuteronomy 19 uh, that very clearly deals uh, with, with the person of Christ and his work for us. But even with the... Um, how we're treating our neighbor, uh, especially like the cities of ref- refuge and whatnot, uh, treating these people as those whom our Lord has died for, those whom our Lord has redeemed, those whom our Lord has created, right? We're, we're not to, to treat them as just, you know, property or uh, uh, something that we can just toss away or something like that.
0: Well, with that introduction in mind, let us take a look at the text for today in Deuteronomy 19. Moses continues speaking. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession, so that any manslayer may, can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer, who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood and hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he has not hated his neighbor in the past. Therefore I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he has sworn to your fathers, and gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I command you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to these three, lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies, and he flees into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, in the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy nineteen verses one to twenty-one. Pastor Kilgo, as as we've said, there's three primary topics here: cities of refuge, where your landmarkers lie, and witnesses for crime. So let's start with the cities of refuge. Take us
1: into that first section. Yeah. So there's there's actually already three cities of refuge that have been set up. I I believe they are to the um, to the east. Uh, if I remember correctly. Um, That's correct. And uh, these are three more. And then there's this provision here that if the Lord enlarges the territory, that there'll be three more on top of that. So the the indication is there's going to be like nine of these total. And what these are is places where if somebody accidentally kills somebody else, uh, then they can go to this area and it's an area where they don't have to worry about uh, having vengeance taken out upon them. So, uh, remember all the way back in Genesis, uh, four, uh, I believe it's, uh, Lamech, uh, is, is kind of boasting about how he's gone and, and just like killed other guys, um, uh, for like looking at him the wrong way, basically. Um, or, or looking at, uh, uh, I, I forget exactly what it is um but but it's like this sort of thing like that the person didn't do anything against him and he just goes off and he and he and he kills him right so uh th- this would be a place where they could be protected uh in that way um and we're get, you you get this um avenger of blood uh person in here a couple times and and where you see really clearly who that is is towards the end where the person who is guilty of of murder uh, not incidental, uh, accidental killing, that that person is handed over by the elders to the avenger of blood, that is, you think, executioner here. So, that, so this gets into the whole idea in the scriptures that uh, we we do not have the right of personal vengeance uh, in, in most instances uh, against our neighbor, that this is an authority that is handed to the state. So, so here it's it's with the elders of the city to take care of this. Uh, you know, for us, it would be our legal system. Uh, so, so it's not for us to go and deal with this. And, and this is where the Lord promises, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So, so that the, uh, the murderer will be repaid one way or another by the Lord, um, either in this life and or in the life to come, depending on the sort of sin that's been committed and if there's repentance that is there. But for the for the one who accidentally uh, kills his neighbor, they, they don't have to worry about some sort of retribution because they're in this kind of sanctuary sort of city. And you've got the example of the the axe uh, uh, just kind of flying off the handle uh, and striking somebody in in numbers. There there's there's a few more of these that um, that get uh, discussed where. Um, uh, One of which is if you're like walking around with these big rocks, and I I think this is like a reference to like you're you're building uh, something Mm -hmm. and like you accidentally drop the rock and somebody's walking by and the rock falls on them and they die. Well, you're you're not not responsible for that in the sense that you are going to be put to death for murder, but you would be kind of sent off to one of these sanctuary cities that way you didn't have to worry about some sort of retribution. So there, there's a number of instances. Um, this particular area where they're at is very forested, where they're settling here. So it that might be, might be why Moses is giving this particular example. Um, uh, one of the commentary mentioned that it, it may be that this has actually happened. That's why it's like such a specific example. Right, uh, right. L- Luther mentions another one where um, a... Uh, he, he said, I, I knew a man who was going to uh, kill a boar that had tackled another man and in the process stabbed the other man um, as another example of this. So so the guy was not intending to kill uh, the, the other guy. He was trying to actually save him and resulted in killing him. Uh, and so the whole deal is, is there malice in the heart? And, and this goes into how our Lord will actually take up the fifth commandment in the gospels particularly in the beatitudes where he says you've heard it said of old you shall not uh murder and whoever murders will be liable to uh, judgment but i say to you whoever hates his brother um, has uh, is is liable to the um to the council uh, etc cetera, etc cetera. right so the 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 issue of the murder is uh, deeper than the action itself the action is a fruit of um, in, in the case of actually breaking the fifth commandment, the action is a fruit of what uh, the person already harbors in their own heart. And, and, and that's what's being guarded against here, is people being unjustly punished um, for the action when there was no malice in the heart.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord's concern for justice here, I think, comes through, and I think this ties the chapter together as well, I'm reminded of the end of Deuteronomy 16 where Moses told the people to appoint judges and officers so that the Lord's justice would happen and I mean over and over again in that just very short section justice only justice you shall follow and pursue we've talked about in Deuteronomy how justice is intimately tied to keeping the word of the Lord and to see how you know he works it out here in his word in very practical ways, I think is is quite wonderful that, I mean, when you, when you read this, like this makes sense that the Lord would deal with things in this way. It's, it is a very just way of, of preserving order among his people. It's also a very merciful way of preserving order among his people so that they don't slip into that desire for vengeance that would exist in, in any of our hearts. Should a loved one be killed, even in an accidental way, you know, the, the, provision that these cities need to be spaced throughout the land so that no one in israel is all that far from from them so that they can get to a city before the avenger might overtake them in hot anger i mean just the the whole description it it speaks very true to life and you see how the lord is very concerned for the good of his people for giving them true justice under his word and for having it carried out in this way
1: right and 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 this is um I mean, you, you mentioned this, but this is a really important uh, point to emphasize, is that all of us have this uh, this temptation in our hearts to seek vengeance. Anytime we are sinned against, uh, there is always the temptation to uh, try and get back or get one up, right? And th- this is especially true when there is harm to one of our loved ones, right? You, you see us all the time... Um, when I think you see, especially with uh, fathers for their for their children and particularly for their daughters, when, when they see that they have been uh, harmed uh, or killed, that uh, one of the, the biggest threats that I mean, even our own law enforcement agencies will will do this. They will seek to protect the uh, the murderer so that they can stand trial uh, from the fathers in particular, because there is this great tendency to uh to protect our children, uh, even in their death. Right? Um, which which is not necessarily a bad uh, a bad motivator. Like it's it's good to want to protect your children and good to want to protect your family and your loved ones and whatnot. But we have to realize that the Lord has placed limits on us in those and that He's given He's given the state ultimately to hand out uh, justice and vengeance in this life, and that he promises that one way or another, he will have vengeance uh, over all those who break his commandments in the life of the world to come. Right, so so that we can we can actually trust that vengeance, or that, that vengeance and uh, uh, justice will occur. Um, and we don't have to take that into our own hands.
0: Well, and I think there there's, again, mercy on the Lord's part in not putting that in our hands, because in our zeal for justice, so often we would go farther than justice actually is. And the Lord knows what is truly just and right— and we don't always have that full conception. And I, I think you see that coming through in this first part about these cities of refuge. And and I think it's going to come up again when we talk about the very last verse of our text, the, the matter of life for life, eye for eye, and so on, that in, in our own execution of justice, if we were to do that according to our own will that is warped by sin, we would get it wrong. We'd either be too lenient or we would be too harsh. We, we wouldn't get it. And, and the Lord showing his people what true justice is, again, is a great mercy so that justice can actually be done, that his will actually is done among them. That's what he desires. And so, I, yeah, I, I think that's another thing that, that really ties this whole
1: chapter together. Right. And, I mean, w- we have to remember that, too, like in, in terms of metting out justice, that this is what the Lord is, in fact, doing uh, at the cross, right so um I, I was trying to remember what what hymn it is but one of our uh holy week hymns uh actually uses this language the 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 sharpest blow uh upon christ was the blow that justice made um, yeah it's it's stricken smitten and afflicted right right um and so uh yeah the deepest stroke that pierced him was the strike that justice gave right that, that the lord in killing his son for our sake uh, is metting out uh, the, the the truest form of justice, right? That, that the Lord is suffering the just consequences for sin, but he's showing us um, may, maybe the proper way to go about doing that, and that is through a, a self-sacrifice, right? And so, you know, that this is, you know, obviously none of us are Jesus and and we don't want to go down that road, but it is, uh, it, it does teach us something about how we ought to, uh, handle these things in, in a couple of ways. One, um, are we, are we trying to approach things like justice in a self-serving sort of manner, um, or in a sacrificial manner? Um, then ask that question. And then also to remember that our Lord has already, um, meted out the justice for these things upon himself. Um, and so, you know, that all these things, like, like you mentioned, all these things are ultimately guarding us against ourselves, right? And, and this is something maybe we forget about the commandments as a whole. And this is certainly just a, this, this whole section is, um, and you know, most Deuteronomy is, is just taking the commandments and just kind of expanding on how these actually interact in our lives. But that the commandments are set up to protect our neighbor from us. Right? So especially the second table, so that our neighbor would be protected in the fifth commandment from our misguided attempts for justice and vindication and vengeance and whatnot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's and that's kind of what's going on here. And I think that's helpful to remember that you know the the Lord is not protecting our neighbor from some far-off forest. They're, they're protecting protecting them from us, and we're he's also protecting us from us you know, so that we don't go afield.
0: I appreciate you bringing up the Holy Week hymn that talks about justice and how justice is done on the cross. And the reason I, I find that particularly striking in this text is the very last verse of the section concerning cities of refuge verse 13, where, where Moses is telling, not in the case of a, a manslayer who killed someone accidentally, but an actual murder, someone who killed with intent in his heart to kill, he attempts to use the city of refuge for his benefit. He is not to receive that benefit because he, is, he has actually shed innocent blood. And the last verse of this, this section says, Your eye shall not pity him, that murderer, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from israel so that it may be well with you it's striking that it it's actually the innocent blood of of our savior jesus christ that does purge the guilt from us i mean i think of in the i think it's in matthew's gospel where the the people shout for his blood to be on them and their children which they're willing to accept the guilt but but that's actually what he came to do and and the cry of the I believe the centurion, as Luke records, it said, "Surely this man was the innocent one." I mean, so it's it's quite striking that it's actually the innocent blood of Jesus that does remove
1: our guilt, right? And and also like you you can hear this echoing uh, the, the the I shall not pity him. You can hear the echoing of the prophet Isaiah in here, where he's talking about how uh, he had no former majesty that we should admire him, uh, et, et cetera, that that we read during. Holy week. And that, you know, th- there is no pity. no no Nobody's looking at Jesus with pity. Right. And, and I mean, the, the irony being like, he's the one person who really rightly could receive pity uh, in this instance. And nobody looks at him in that way. Uh, uh, because he's sitting there and he's taking all of our sins upon himself to, to die for them. Right and like you said to to purge the guilt, uh, from Israel, right through his innocent blood. So yeah, th- this is there. There's there's all these little, uh, sprinklings, so to speak, of of uh, of the, of the death of there. Jesus, um, in in this text in a, in a wonderful way. And and I mean we're gonna see this especially I think in the, in the in the last section, too.
0: That that's right. So, I mean, in in terms of the the cities of refuge, then you you mentioned there are three that have already been established on the east side of the Jordan River. Moses here tells them to set apart three more. There is this this command. If if I'm reading it right, that it sounds like there's the potential for even having three more on top of that, if the Lord enlarges them. As far as I know in the Old Testament, those other three are never established, uh, making I mean making me think that. This part didn't come to pass simply because they did not keep the commandment as they were told, and so the other three are not established. But again, these are, are spaced throughout as as a, a mercy from God, so that there's a, a place for everyone to go. It, what other details within that section on the
1: cities of refuge do we need to to see? Um, I, I think that's probably it in the section. I'm, I'm sure there's all sorts of uh, things in here that we could go into, but um, I, I, I think that's. Uh, probably uh, good on this. you you are I, I was reading this the the same way that there's the possibility for nine total. Uh, there's definitely six. and as far as I could tell, also uh, those um, that third set of three never comes to pass because it is conditional. Uh, he says, provided you are ke- careful to keep all this commandment, which I command you today. Uh, now it's, and now it's interesting that this goes back to what we said right at the beginning what what's the commandment that's commanded today uh well to love the lord your god and by walking ever in his ways right so that mm. the 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 provision of the um the innocent man being able to go to a sanctuary city here so that he's not um improperly avenged uh that that is loving the lord your god by doing that so that the one of the ways in which we love God is by loving our neighbor and loving the things that he gives to us. Right. And, and Jesus brings us up in the, the sheep and the goats when he's talking about, um, uh, you know, I was hungry and you fed me and naked and you clothed me and in prison and you visited me all these things. And the, and the sheep are like, well, when did we do those? We don't remember doing those things. And he said, as often as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, that is to your neighbor, you did it also to me, right? So that mm. in in serving our neighbor, we are also serving God. In loving our neighbor, we are also loving God. And and I think that's a big thing to see, um, not only this section, but in, in the whole section as the second table is being unpacked.
0: Yeah, that's right. That, that phrase stood out to me, too, after the way you introduced it about, you know, loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways, holding those two tables of law together, loving God, loving neighbor, never separate from each other. We're going to pick up more of this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUL. We're talking about Deuteronomy 19 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 6th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 1 to 21 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we looked at the first 13 verses, the cities of refuge. Three have already been established on the east side of the Jordan. The Lord provides for the establishing of three more as a mercy to show his people true justice. In verse 14, there is one verse that within this section deals with property and where the markers are and not moving them. This is a part of the Lord's inheritance. It's one verse, but there's a lot packed in there. Why this command about land markers?
1: Yeah. So, so there was a, um, an, an issue that would periodically, uh, come up where so what the landmarkers were just in case the listener doesn't know is, it would usually be like a pile of rocks or something like that. Um, it wasn't generally a, uh, a physical, immovable landmark like a river. Sometimes it was, but very often you had like these pile of rocks and basically you're going to like mark out the perimeter of your of your land. But that this land has come to you from God. Right. And it's passed down within the family. Um, from generation to generation. And you'll get this periodically where people will comment on how this was the land given to my fathers. So, so it's, it's land given by God to a family for them to use. And um, you you can imagine then like, if you wanted more land, well, all you've got to do is go and just kind of scoot the pile of rocks over. I mean, it's pretty easy to do. It's not like today where, you know, you, you live in a, in a neighborhood, and you've got like a fence sitting between you and your and your neighbor's house. And if you went out one day and you just like uprooted the fence and moved it towards their house like five feet, it's going to be pretty obvious that you did that. Uh, so, so it's a lot more difficult for us to to do things like what they would be able to do. So there is this uh, this tendency and temptation to try and steal from the neighbor, uh, and to recognize that when you're doing that, not only you're stealing from your neighbor, but you're also stealing from God because he's the one who's actually given it. It still belongs to the Lord. Um, All things belong to him. And so we need to treat this um, as what the thing is, belonging to our neighbor and belonging to God uh, as a guard uh, against our own temptation for uh, greediness and covetousness. King Ahab gets in trouble for something
0: like this. Maybe not exactly the same thing, but this matter that the the land is an inheritance, it becomes a pretty important. in what it's a Naboth and his vineyard that he tries
1: to take or does take, and he gets called out by by the prophet. Right. Yeah. This. So this is in First Kings, uh, twenty one, and and this is actually a, a really good text in uh, kind of unpacking when when Saint Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. How how the ninth and tenth commandments uh, have a direct link to the first commandment and how, uh, all the sins against our neighbor are going to start with covetousness, uh, and all our sins against God are going to start with covetousness, uh, that this is a great text and to see how that actually happens because you, you can actually trace the breaking of all the commandments through this. So what happens is that, um, you've got, uh, Ahab who's king of Samaria and he sees um uh the, this land that's owned by Naboth uh who's a Jezreelite and uh, he owns this vineyard it's his land and it's apparently fairly near to the um to the king's palace and so he says uh give me your vineyard so that I can have a vegetable garden and I'll pay you for it um, or I'll give you a different one um that's you know of equal value but just somewhere else and Naboth says um this is not mine to give. This is something that's been given to my family by the Lord as an inheritance to us. I can't sell it. I can't give it to you. I'm that that's, um, the whole context, everything else that flows from that narrative hinges on this, that the land has been given to Naboth, uh, by the Lord and, and not just Naboth, but to the entirety of his household. Right. And, and he says it's, um, uh, Naboth's actual response is the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers, right? So, so you can see how, uh, how deeply this goes and that's the same sort of thing going on here. It's the same language, the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you to possess, right? It, it's something, uh, that we are inheriting from God, uh, uh, not only for our sake, but also for our family's sake. And broadly for the sake of the community, right? So that, you know, if you're raising cattle or you're raising, uh, like in this case, you've got a vineyard and you've got grapes there or whatever it might be, that this is going to benefit the entirety of the community. Uh, so so none of these things are entirely self-serving. Um, and, but, but again, it goes all the way back to God has given this for this purpose. And so I don't have the authority, even if I wanted to, I don't have the authority to sell it to you or to give it away or whatever it might be. Um, And uh, by uh, extension, then my neighbor doesn't have the authority to just come and take it, which is eventually what happens with Naboth. Um, uh, Jezebel uh, comes in and uh, forges his signature and uh, sets up witnesses, which is going to occur in the next section, uh, false witnesses, and uh, forcibly takes Naboth's vineyard from him Uh, By killing Naboth, right? So they get rid of Naboth and then they just take the vineyard. Um, And so you can see how uh, in guarding against the taking of the land itself, you're also guarding things like what we had in the previous section, murder, and you're guarding against things like false witnesses in the next section. So all all these things just end up interconnected with each other
0: well let's talk about the the matter of witnesses then starting in verse 15 Moses tells the people one witness is not enough there needs to be two or three to establish a charge so let's talk about the witnesses
1: yeah so uh, th- this is a, a fairly big topic in the in the scriptures of the of the witness and the false witness and especially that uh, things need to be confirmed by more than one person um, may- maybe the the, the the clearest place to see this uh, is in Matthew 18, where if if your brother sins against you, you, go to them personally, and if they refuse to repent, then you bring two or three, or you bring you bring um, yeah two or three witnesses with you to urge urge them to repent. And if they don't repent, now you have the witnesses that yes, they've sinned and they're non repentant, and that's when they're handed over to uh, to the church and, and whatnot from there. But you also have this even in like our Lord's own death, right? So the, the, the whole kind of sham trials that are being set up by the, uh, by the Pharisees and the, and the the ruling class is that they're trying to find witnesses to testify against Jesus. And one of the things that happens is they can't find anybody. They can't find two guys to agree. And, uh, and so they would have, you know, a couple of guys that would come up and they they would say, you know, that he he said that he would uh, destroy this temple and on the third day, rise it back up. But on this, even this, they couldn't agree. So like they, they weren't getting the details the same. And so there was no way that they could actually condemn him because you didn't have enough witnesses. And so this is where, why it's important that Jesus actually witnesses against himself at the trial, because now you've got all the witnesses. Right. And that's why they say, what need do we have of further testimony? But you have this even like in who is Jesus? Well, you have the witness of the Father and the Holy Spirit at his baptism, and you have the witness of St. John the Baptist, you have the witness at his transfiguration of Peter, James, and John, as well as the voice of the Father. So over and over you get the wit- you get multiple witnesses, two or three witnesses of who Jesus is throughout the Gospel. So that what was really interesting is that the Lord in his incarnation places himself under the very laws that he's given to Israel right yeah that
0: no that is it's quite striking how these matters of witnesses come up both in the ministry of our lord and then in, in his passion as you said so there needs to be two or three witnesses in verse 16, it seems to provide a a slightly different situation where there's this malicious witness or a violent witness. And and it sounds like maybe it's just one person against another. There is the potential that they both end up going before the Lord, you know, that matter of where the judges were and going to the, the place where the Lord would establish that that was brought up previously in Deuteronomy. What's the situation that comes up starting
1: in verse 16? Um, so, so there's, yeah. So, I mean, we we all know how this goes, right? This is like a he said, she said sort of deal. So, there there's some sort of uh, personal conflict that happens, and um, uh, y- there there's no one that's a that's a witness to what happened or may not have happened. And so, in this case, you're going to come before the Lord through the priests and the judges who are in office, right? So the the officials that the Lord has put in place, uh, I think the state essentially, uh, and it, they are going to inquire, they're, they're going to dig at the facts of the case and figure, try and figure out who's lying and who's not lying. But one of the things that's set in place to, to, uh, to, to kind of fight against some sort of a false witness and just coming up, like, you know, what's to prevent me from just coming up and, uh. And accusing you of some awful crime. Well, if I am a false witness, then whatever I was trying to have done to you as a false witness, um, or as as a as a crime that I said you committed against me as a false witness, I'm then going to have that placed back upon me. And so that's the uh, so like if I'm trying to do something that would result in you uh, being put to death. Well, then the result of me being found out as false witness is that I'm put to death. Well, that, it turns out that that is a pretty good way of, um, discouraging people from coming up as false witnesses. Mostly. I mean, it doesn't completely get away get, get rid of it, but you know, most people are going to think twice before coming up and trying to falsely accuse somebody else. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. One of the things that that
0: stands out to me from this text is when you look at the way this text is totally ignored and abused in the the trial that Jesus is that he receives in the Gospels. I mean, it's it's amazing how how many different ways they go against this text. About the only thing that they even try to get right is they they want two witnesses. Yeah. For some reason, they they want to have the two witnesses, but everything else about it, they seem to, to ignore. It, it really goes to show the the actual injustice that the Lord received according to Deuteronomy. And yet, as he, as we've already said the the justice that God gave through the the innocent blood that was shed there, it, it's quite striking yet again to see
1: how this comes into play in our Lord's passion. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all sorts of, of false witnesses. And, and in fact, I mean, this, this shows up, um, in the, uh, uh, in in Naboth's vineyard, um, uh, it, it says that uh, uh, Jezebel uh, finds uh, two worthless men to sit opposite of Naboth. That, that's how they're described. Um, yeah. uh, two two men who um, uh, who don't care about God's law, don't care about the community or Naboth or or anything like that. Um, and it, and it doesn't really say what's going to happen. You, you imagine that they're probably getting paid for this. Um, they're, they're kind of false witnesses for hire, so to speak. And they're not worried for whatever reason about, um, about getting falsely, uh, r- recognized as a false witness. But the issue there is that there's two of them, right? So, so in Naboth's vineyard, um, Jezebel at least understands that there needs to be two witnesses that agree. And so they get their stories straight and they come and they uh, testify against uh, Naboth in public. And so Naboth's put to death uh, on account of this because it's two, not one. And the general assumption is that if you've got two witnesses to something, then they're telling the truth. Um, And that, that again goes, goes back to Um, What is just so incredible about the trial with Jesus is they, they can't find two people to agree. Um, And and it's like, they're, they're so uh, they're so intent on destroying him that they can't even take the time to um, get their story straight on, on what he needs to be destroyed for They They're just completely losing their minds. And so Jesus finally takes it into his own hands, but it's also what he promised would happen. Right. So that the, um, he, as the good shepherd, is going to lay down his own life. Nobody takes it from him. He lays it down of his own accord. He's, he's going to be the one ultimately that is going to decide, no, it's time for me to go to my death. I'm going to witness against myself. Um, and, and in that case, like there, there's no um, there's no need for other witnesses.
0: The last verse of our text today is one that is perhaps very familiar for a variety of reasons, maybe not all of them scriptural, but it does show up here in the scriptures, and it shows up in other places in the Old Testament too. The, your eye shall not pity, we heard that previously in verse 13. In verse 21 of the text, Moses continues, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Why Why is this the command that the Lord gives
1: here? Yeah, so... Um, there, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, one, if there is, if you read, um, like the, the texts on how the Jews actually put this stuff into practice, um, it wasn't just straight up. Like if somebody poked out your eye, then your eye is going to be poked out. It, it, it didn't actually work out that way. Um, if something resulted in the loss of life in, in the killing of another person, Intentionally, uh, that resulted in you also being killed. That was actually the punishment for it. But what what's being set up here is a uh, a standard by which you're not uh, over punishing or under punishing. That that's the the general standard that's being put here. So, for example, if you go and you steal an apple, the punishment isn't life in prison, right? That 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 punishment does not match the severity of the crime. And also, likewise, if you go and you kill your neighbor in, um, in anger and intentionally, uh, the punishment is not, um, you know, probation. That, that there's on both sides, you're, you're not, uh, you're, you're doling out a proper justice for the crime that is committed. And, and that's the thing that is, um, mo- that this text is most concerned about.
0: So and this goes again to what we were saying earlier the human tendency to let vengeance reign and take over the Lord protects it from protects us from that so that justice actually is carried out what else i mean this is you know this life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand as you said it's not necessarily well it wasn't always like, it's not that you actually lost your hand. There was a penalty sometimes that would have been equivalent to losing your hand when you look at the way this is practiced. How about the ways that, I mean, you mentioned the Sermon on the Mount earlier. This factors into the Sermon on the Mount. So so how does this, how does this still come into play for Christians?
1: Yeah. So uh, Luther has this really interesting thing in his lectures on Deuteronomy um, where he talks about the allegorical meaning of the text. And he gets into this, and one of the things that he's talking about is how um, uh, for false teachers that, um, the, the, the punishment, he, he deals specifically with false teachers here that, that the punishment, the Lord is going to met out on false teachers, uh, for their false teaching is going to match the crime. So the, if, you know, if they are, um, uh, bearing false witness about God, um, not witnessing properly about God, if they're, uh, destroying people with uh false doctrine, that is, you know, Uh, destroying their faith or not giving them the ability to come to faith because they're giving them faith in the wrong things, that the Lord is ultimately going to destroy them uh, for that in the end. Um, but that there's a, almost a sort of gradation, uh, Luther seems to indicate on this that, um, you know, if, if there is, you know, maybe a lesser, um, a a lesser teaching, so to speak, on like, you know, uh, what sort of angels there are or something like this, that that's not necessarily going to result in, um, eternal punishment, uh, for that, because there, there's actually even in, in this, a, um, a justice with which the Lord is going to operate. And for us, when we, when we deal with one another, um, that we deal with one another, uh, in an appropriate way. So if, um, if you sin against me, um, the manner in which we deal with that is not uh, apart from seeking reconciliation, forgiveness, that's always the case, but the, the practical, um, and, and worldly way in which we're going to deal with that is not always going to be the same. It's going to match whatever the, the sin was. Uh, so for example, if, um, uh if, if your sin against me is that you know you you borrowed my lawn mower and you uh you know destroyed it in the process and then you know didn't buy me a new one or whatever to, to replace it. Um you know the,
0: I would take very good care of your lawn
1: I'm I'm sure I'm sure you would. Um
0: I like mowing lawns.
1: Uh you can come mow mow ours. Uh, <laughs> so but the the uh you know, the, the punishment for that, so to speak, the manner in which we're going to deal with that is that I'm just not going to loan you my stuff anymore. Right. So, so there, there is a punishment that occurs temporally in this, um, in addition to the fact that we've been reconciled and forgiven. Uh, so, so that, uh, again, the, the overarching thing that's going on with all of this is that, uh, the manner in which we deal with each other is going to be uh, appropriate to what's actually happened right that we don't overreact or or underreact uh, to what's going on and that we always deal with each other uh through uh mercy and mm-hmm. forgiveness
0: well I, I yeah i think that's really key that we deal with each other in mercy and forgiveness and if i can bring up something you mentioned toward the beginning of our conversation that there is no there's no place in here for personal vengeance you know we are we are talking here about the actions of the the state as it existed for the people of Israel. And so there there is a difference then between the you know the, the way that the state carries out this justice that is good and right the way that it looks like in my own personal interactions is ruled by mercy, forgiveness, that desire to be reconciled even if even if there are certain consequences that remain on this side of heaven. That, that desire for mercy and reconciliation to forgive as I have been forgiven is what reigns for me personally rather rather than just letting my vengeance run
1: wild and do what it would, which would certainly lead me into further sin. Right. And and that's I mean, like we've talked about that that is that is the thing that ultimately is going on not only here, but with all the commandments that they are um they're in essence, they are protecting us from ourselves. They're protecting our neighbors uh, from ourselves. Um, and they are seeking to direct us to live in a godly way, um, acting in, like we said, acting in mercy, acting in forgiveness, uh, not acting in pride, not acting in haughtiness. These are the, these major sins that show up, especially in the Old Testament, that that lead to the destruction. Um of entire groups of people. Um, and, and the Lord is, is guarding us against those things, um, in part by just setting up, uh, these, these barriers so that we don't even get close to them. Right. So, so it's like setting up a, a fence around, you know, some, uh, some important object so that you know, you want to make sure that people aren't coming up and like hitting the object with a bat or something like that. Well, you put up a, a fence hundred yards out. Well, they don't even get close to it. And now, you know, you, you come up, there's this fence. Well, it's a lot of work to get through the fence and, you know, you might get caught as you're running up to the, to the big tower or whatever it might be. So you just don't even do it. Right. So, so it curbs our, our natural inclination to, to act in this way. Um, and that's for our good and that's for our neighbor's good. Um, so that we actually live a, uh, good and decent and holy life as the Lord has, uh, instituted for us. Uh, and it turns out that that's just overall a better life. I mean, you look at all these things that are, that are listed out here and it's pretty easy to see that, you know, not, uh, not unjustly punishing someone for, um, you know, because the axe had slipped off their, their axe handle and killed somebody that that's a good way for society to function. Not stealing your neighbor's land is a good way for society to function. Not bearing false witness against your neighbor is a good way for society to function like over and over and over. It's just like society functions best when these things are in place. And so the Lord just over and over is giving us these things, um, for that. And uh, and right next to that, he's giving us Jesus, who is, um, who's, as we've seen, is is here in all of these texts and uh, taking the, the sin that is being committed and the fullness of these things into himself and, and dying for it so that when we do sin against one another, when we do trespass against these commandments and sin against God as well, uh, that there is the blood of Christ uh Uh, still speaking a better word than the blood of Abel and forgiving us in the process.
0: Pastor Sean Kilgo is pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas, helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 1 to 21. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today.
1: It's great to be here.
0: The Lord gives his law. It is good and wise, as the hymn reminds us. He provides for true justice for his people. He puts limits to where our sinful vengeance would carry us. And instead, through his word, shows us what it looks like to have a life ordered according to his word, according to true justice. And he has given justice to us, justification through his son, Jesus Christ. His innocent blood was shed to purge the guilt from us, to cover us in his holiness and righteousness that we might be his children. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.